My name is Herb Montgomery, and I'm the director of Renewed Heart Ministries. We are a not-for-profit group that is passionate about rediscovering, following, and helping others rediscover the teachings and sayings of the historical Jesus of Nazareth. We believe that these teachings have an intrinsic value in informing the work of nonviolently confronting, liberating, and transforming our world into a safe, more just, more compassionate home for us all. If you would like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, I'll tell you how you can do so at the end of this podcast. For now, we simply want to thank you for listening. This is Herb Montgomery, and I want to welcome you to episode 175 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our title this week is This Generation and the Children of Wisdom. Our feature text is Sang's Gospel Q 7, verses 31 through 35. To what am I to compare this generation, and what is it like? It is like children seated in the marketplace who, addressing the others, say, We fluted for you, but you would not dance. We wailed, but you would would not cry. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and you say he has a demon. The son of humanity came eating and drinking, and you say, look, a person who is a glutton and a drunkard and a chum of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom was vindicated by her children. Our companion texts are Matthew eleven sixteen through 19. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sit, sit, sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And Luke seven thirty one through 35 uh, Jesus went on to say, To what can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children seated in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came, either eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he is a, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. This week's saying is one of my favorites, so let's dive right in. Let's talk about marketplaces first. One of the key images in this saying is the marketplace. In ancient Greece, uh, the agora uh, was a gathering place or an assembly and was the center for uh, it was the center of, uh, within the city for politics, uh, sport, uh, religion and art. And I'll put a link to some more information on that uh, in, in this east, week's Eastside as well. But um, Baruch Goldstein explains that uh, the civic center was like a marketplace at the city gate a place where people converged with their merchandise to trade necessary goods. It was also the place where they exchanged ideas, passed on valuable and sometimes vital information. Easton's Dictionary tells us further that the Agora was any place of public resort, and hence a public place of or a broad street. You can find that in Matthew eleven sixteen and chapter 20, verse 3. Uh, it goes on to say, as well as a, a forum or marketplace, 
proper, where goods were exposed for sale, where the public as, uh, public assemblies and trials were held. You can find that in Acts 16, 19, and 17, 17. Uh, th- this occurred in the Old Testament only in Ezekiel 27, 13, Easton's Dictionary tells us. In early times, the markets were held at the gates of the city, where commodities were exposed for sale, 2 Kings 7, 18. In large towns, the sale of a particular article uh, seems to have been confined to certain streets, and we may infer from such expressions as the Baker Street in Jeremiah 7, 37, 21, and from the circumstance that in the time of Josephus, the valley between Mount Zion and Moriah was called a, a Tryopion. I think that's how you pronounce that, Tyropion, or, or the Valley of the Cheesemakers. So in uh, first century Jewish culture, uh, the Agora, or marketplace, was where social and economic life happened. And when Jesus refers to the marketplace, he's describing an economic or a civic gathering. And the economic context of this saying is important. Let's talk about that phrase, this generation. I hear some frustration in this week's saying. Both John the Baptist and, and Jesus had cast before the imaginations of their generation a, a vision of a society that was very different than the society they lived in. They weren't simply waiting for Rome to, to collapse before reorganizing. They were working toward a, a new social order, which Jesus referred to, remember, as, as the empire of God. And in God's order, people took responsibility for taking care of people. And God's order was a, a new social structure that subversively seeded uh, uh, itself in the, in the shell of the old imperial order. God's order primarily focused on on the local scene rather than the entire empire. And it offered a a, a new day for for local laborers. And you can find that in Matthew's parable in Matthew 21 through 16. But their vision involved resource sharing. It was food distribution, wealth redistribution, and and care for for the sick. It was a a society centered in solidarity and interconnectedness and interdependence. And, And the point I want you to focus on most this week is that God's empire, so to speak, was not a, a future state waiting for Rome to fall or or Jerusalem to be liberated. It had begun already in the teachings of Jesus, while, while the, the current power structure still existed around them. So to help the very people that were being exploited by the present system, this uh, new order, this, this subversive group, this movement uh, began. Uh, presently, right there within that shell. And it, it presented people uh, caring for people in place of a, of a, a hierarchical institution. And it showed people a, a means or a, a way to take care of each other. And yet, neither John nor Jesus nor their followers could awaken the larger portions of their lethargic society who, who seemed to be waiting for something big. Uh, they, they were piping and, and singing, and, and yet the largest sectors of their society would not dance. They, they would not cry in response to the children's wailing. They were asleep. They were passive. They were complicit. And, and remember, this was a, a time when Jesus' followers and 
and John's followers were, although sizable, uh, they were still a minority within the larger Jewish communities. And, and we'll explore further next week and next week saying why Jesus's group of followers uh, remain smaller. Um, let's talk about the asceticism of John. Asceticism is a lifestyle of abstinence, of temperance and, and withdrawal. An ascetic person uh, doesn't participate in, in luxury or simple pleasures. And Luke seems to hint that, that John's asceticism was rebellion against the priestly aristocracy to which his father belonged. And John chose a version of Judaism that rejected economic exploitation of the poor in the name of Yahweh. And yet he was accused by the religiously wealthy and the elite of having a demon. And Jesus, uh, as a socialite, that's a, a, a neat picture. Jesus was not, he didn't embrace the asceticism of John. Jesus, on the other hand, um, again, he didn't choose a wilderness or the countryside. He chose the larger city metropolises of, of Galilee. He, he blessed the poor and pronounced judgment on the rich. You can find that in Luke 6, 20 and verse 24. Uh, Luke portrays Jesus as proclaiming 13 woes or, or, or curses on that group. Um, some scholars uh, attribute the origin of, of the woe oracle to the, the cultic practices of, of curses, and you can find that in Deuteronomy uh, 27, 15 through 26. But the, 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 the book in Hebrew scriptures that holds the record of woes is Ezekiel, and it only includes six. So for Luke to portray Jesus as proclaiming 13 of those, that's more than double what Ezekiel did towards the elite and and the aristocracy of his day. And as we considered last week, that the wealthy tax collectors responded to John and to Jesus, and and Jesus embraced and welcomed them. Jesus includes a, a, a tax collector among the, his disciples, and after Zacchaeus repents of stealing and and promises to redistribute his wealth, Jesus says, "Today salvation has come to this house." because this man too is a son of Abraham. And you can find that in Luke 19.9. Those like Zacchaeus, whom the religiously wealthy labeled as sinners, uh, shared the same economic class with them. The, the religiously wealthy and the, the, the tax collectors, they, their differences were in their feelings towards Hellenism and its influence in Judaism. But economically, they were very much the same. And the well-to-do, more fundamentalist rich regarded themselves as morally superior to those who were who were listening and responding to John and Jesus and they they gathered around Jesus and and he shared bread and wine with them and and yet his only reward was that those who who saw themselves as superior to that uh, that crowd uh, viewed him as a glutton or a drunk and a, a chum of tax collectors and sinners and and this couldn't have been said uh, about John but it was said uh, about Jesus and 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 this this idea of, of them not dancing or, or, or not mourning, um, that society in, in, in this saying, in saying's gospel cue, is characterized as being asleep. A meme uh, came across one of my news feeds last week that I think summed up the scenario nicely. It said, 1% control the world. 
4% are sellout puppets, 90% are asleep, 5% know and are trying to wake up the 90%. The 1% doesn't want the 5% waking up the 90%. And if we were to view first century Galilee uh, through the lens of of those categories, those percentages, uh, Jesus would certainly have been part of the 5% calling for nonviolent resistance to Roman and Jewish oppression of the poor and for a, a just distribution of food and resources. And our, our sayings last week and, and this week teach us that the, the religious authorities refused to respond positively to John and Jesus and instead undermined their influence in order to keep uh, the 90% asleep. Uh, let's talk about Sophia's children for a moment as well. Just as we talked about in, in the saying, a tree is known by its fruit, and I'll put a link to that in the e-site, but wisdom is was vindicated by her children. And I, I love the feminine imagery used for wisdom in this week's saying. In the Septuagint, uh, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, the, the Greek word for wisdom in Proverbs 8, is Sophia. And feminine imagery for, for wisdom has an intriguing history in Hellenistic Judaism. Uh, Philo of Alexandria was a philosopher and a contemporary of, of Jesus of Nazareth who, who lived from 25 BCE to 50 CE. And as a Hellenistic Jew, Philo attempted to harmonize Platonic uh, uh, Judaism or philosophy with Judaism. And he used the Greek word logos to represent Sophia Sophia or wisdom. And in the Gospel of John, this became the word to describe uh, divine wisdom and the mysterious form of a preexistent Christ. And Sophia has a long history with feminine imagery for the divine and, and affirms that, that women bear the image of God just as much as, as men. And I like the fact that the Q community preserved uh, this scene with Jesus, stating that his teachings were an expression of the way of Sophia within a, a first or second century context, this would have very subtly subverted social patriarchy. Um, today, uh, recently, I've been reading a, a, a book entitled Markets Not Capitalism by Gary Chartier and Charles W. Johnson. And Gary Chartier is an associate dean of the School of Business at, and an associate professor of law and business ethics at La Sierra University. Charles Johnson is a, a research associate at the Molinari Institute, and, and he's a member of the Industrial Workers of the World and, and, and has published a uh, – he, he runs a, a, a daily web blog called the Rad Geeks, uh, Rad Geeks People's Daily Web Blog at, at radgeek.com, and he's done that since about 2001. But what I appreciate most about this book are the articles by uh, Prodon and, and Benjamin Tucker from, from the later 19th and early 20th centuries, and as I've gotten to the end of the book, uh, I was overwhelmed by two thoughts. First, um, how deeply asleep those who are comfortable in our society are today. People don't seem to really desire freedom as much as they desire comfort. And as long as people are comfortable, they'll they'll trade almost anything to, to remain uh, comfortable. Uh, second, uh, how awake those are who are deeply discomforted by the present economic and political system. H how awake they 
they are. Uh, the, the, the very ones sings gospel cue would are referred to as the poor, the hungry, the, the mourning. And, and Howard Thurman referred to them as the disinherited. Um, they are the, the oppressed, the, the marginalized and subjugated. And, and they live with an urgency about justice out of necessity. Um, it's a necessity that those who are comfortable in, in, in privileged positions fail to understand. And when any attempt at, at waking up society is made, um, a mutual of methods, a shame, status quo explanation, and apologetics, social exclusion, even coercion at times are used to, to tell people simply to roll over and go back to sleep. And, and I encourage you to, to read the book for yourself. I'll put a link uh, in the e-site for a free copy. You can get a free copy of Markets Not Capitalism in, in this week's e-site. But most of all, even if you don't take advantage of the book, I want you to see that in, in this week's saying is Jesus's call for society to wake up. Wake up to the call of living compassionate, involved lives with those presently suffering from injustice, violence, and oppression. Uh, wake up and, and put your hand to the plow alongside those who are, are working for their own liberation. And wake up to the reality that we are not uh, free Till, till everyone is free. And, and wake up and in, in the words of this week saying, dance with those rejoicing in hard-won victories and mourn with those whose, whose victories are yet future and work and, and work hard uh, today uh, the, toward the, that day imagined in, in Micah where everyone will one day sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid, Micah 4 verse 4. And let others call you a friend of those uh, labeled in our time as as tax collectors and sinners were in the time of Jesus, and and let them accuse you as they did Jesus of of having a demon and, and being a glutton and being a drunkard. These accusations are again the status quo's effort to keep you quiet, to keep you passive, and to keep you compliant. So so keep speaking your truth into the darkness of injustice, and and may it not be said of any of us to what am I to compare this generation and what is it like? It is like children seated in the marketplace who addressing the others say, we fluted for you, but you would not dance. We wailed, but you would not cry. And again, that sings gospel Q 7 verse 31. Heart group application this week. This week, sit down with your heart group and write out together what it looks like to be awake to injustice, oppression, and violence in our world today. Number two, discuss three visible manifestations in this list that, that resonate most deeply with your group. And then number three, pick one of those three to lean into this week individually and as a group and focus on practicing them in your your day-to-day -day life. We are in this together. Um, you're not alone. Jesus's empire of God is a world where people take responsibility to share with and to take care of people. And I'm so thankful that, that you're here, that you're joining us each, this, each week for this series. Together, I still believe we can make a difference. So keep living in love till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Thank you 
once again for listening. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries, even our our many educational events that we do in various venues is for free. If you'd like to support our work, you can make a one-time gift or become one of our monthly contributors by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab on the top right. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And make sure you also sign up for our free resources and remember, every little bit helps. And, and as always, anything that we receive over and above our annual budget, we happily give away to other not-for-profits who are, are making both systemic and personal differences and significant differences in the lives of those who are not presently benefited by the status quo. And to those of you who are already supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you so much. Your generous support makes it possible for us to exist and to continue you being a presence for positive change in our world. So with all of our hearts, thank you. Together, we are making a difference till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. <laughs>